0: So good to see you all again tonight and I certainly have been missing that uh, privilege and uh, thankful to be back with you uh, tonight and would I like to ask you to turn your Bible again to the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. In my studies and meditations this week on what we're to deal with tonight, I just keep coming back to um, the reality of persecution for the people of God throughout the centuries. And as Brother Nathan reminded us here in America, we've been free from so many uh, persecutions that many of our forefathers had to endure. And because of that, uh, many of us think that that's something that is a part of antiquity. It's 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 non-relevant to the church today. But if you study and and listen, you you'll see that there's been as much or even more uh, persecution against Christians in our world uh, today than there ever has been. It's just been uh, we have been spared from that in our country, but. Something just keeps coming back to my mind again and again that we need to be ready for persecution. And because of that, we need to understand where persecution comes from. We need to understand uh, what it means and uh, how we are to deal with it. So I'd like to examine that uh, with you for a little while tonight. In the context of what we're studying in reference to Peter and John... In Acts chapter 4, last time we were together, we stopped at verse 12. Remember, we talked about the uniqueness of Christ and His salvation. There's, there's no other name. There's no other authority. There's no other power by which we uh, have salvation except through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the foundation of His message. That's the foundation of our message and our gospel. But I want to pick up at verse 13 and see how they responded to the persecution that they were experiencing. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, we begin reading there. Now, when they saw... Now, this is talking about the Sanhedrin court, the the accusers, the persecutors of Peter and John. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men... They marveled, and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council or the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Now they wanted to, but we can't deny this. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them. Now here's where I want to underscore uh, the methodology of the enemies of the cross Uh, There's always threats. There's always the threat of impending danger. Always. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now, why would they do that? Number one, to silence them, right? They wanted to silence the Christian. They wanted to silence the gospel. Number two, to shame them because they would be rebuked by the supreme authority of Jewish culture. So it was not only to silence them, but also to shame them. And then it was to scatter them, to discourage them, so that they would not uh, be bold and courageous in their proclamation of the gospel. Verse 19, But Peter and John... Answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now I noticed something about their attitude. Their attitude was not one of belligerence, it was not one of hatefulness, it was not one of um, uh, pride, but rather it was respectable. It was a respectable response to the civil authority that is over them, just like Paul taught us in Romans chapter thirteen, and Peter also taught us in First Peter chapter two verse thirteen that we should respect the authorities that are over us, because the authorities that are over us are ordained of God. So here they are; they're they're being uh, they're 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 being uh, uh, respectable to that authority. But you know something? They were saying that we're willing to be subject to your law as long as your law doesn't contradict the law of God. And they're doing it in a... A respectable way. It's just like Daniel. Remember they said don't pray for 30 days. Don't pray to any other God but uh, but to the Persian God. And Daniel as was his manner went and opened his windows toward Jerusalem. And prayed three times a day just like he always had done. And as a result of that he was, he was cast into the lion's den. But see God delivered him. You see that story? God delivered Daniel. I think about this in the context of the midwives. The midwives were commanded by Pharaoh to kill every every man-child that was born to make sure they didn't make it. But they feared God, and they delivered those male children. God also delivered them. Isn't that interesting? They said, We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So then they had further threatened them. Notice the threatening. They let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. Had the Sanhedrin proof that Christ had not risen from the grave, they would have used it right here. But they never produced any evidence to the contrary. You see, this is only a few months after the crucifixion of Christ. And remember, after his crucifixion and his burial, they 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 said this blasphemer said that after three days he was going to rise again. So he they went to Pilate and got guards to guard the tomb. You remember the story? Well, did did that prevent Christ from coming out of the tomb? No. Absolutely not. You see, the that was missing, you know, they've created all kinds of uh, theories about what happened to Jesus Christ after His burial, but none of them have ever found His body. They They looked everywhere. The Romans looked for it, right? The Jews looked for it. Even the disciples looked for it. But you see, Jesus appeared to His disciples alive and well. And brothers and sisters, he's alive and well tonight too. Amen. So here they are. They're saying, "Hey, listen, we're we're not uh, we're not uh, conveyors of a dead gospel or of a dead Savior. We're we're con- we're conveying to you the word of the living Christ, the reigning Christ, the risen and returning Christ." And verse twenty-two. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shown. You would think that if anybody would have compassion, it would be these religious people that had witnessed this man suffer his whole life. 40 years. Suffer his whole life and become a beggar at at, at beggar's door. And here he is leaping. He's walking and leaping and praising God in the temple. You would think that they would rejoice with him, wouldn't you? But you see, there was a deep-seated resentment for any power that restricted their own because they were unregenerate. They were not born of the Spirit of God. And that's where persecution comes from. Now, we've got to touch on this, and I appreciate you giving me time to get through this study tonight because this has really been on my mind a lot this week. Persecution, the word persecute or persecution is diogmos in the Greek tongue. It means literally to hunt, to pursue, to drive out. This is a very harsh word in the Greek language, and it's used over and over again in the New Testament, particularly, but also in the Old Testament to describe those that are against God, against God's people, against truth. I want to divide our study into three parts. I want to understand a little bit better the reason for persecution. And I want to understand our response to persecution. And then I want to, if God will give us grace, I'd like to talk about the results of persecution when I think about the reason for persecution I find there's five main main reasons first pride pride you know it's just like the psalmist David said in Psalm chapter 10 verse 2 he said the wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined they persecute the poor They persecute those that are considered less valuable than themselves. They're lifted up in pride. The second thing, the second reason for persecution in the Scriptures is hatred. Jesus says, the the world hated me before it hated you. He said that in Matthew chapter 13, verse 21. In the Gospel of John, in uh, chapter 15... Uh, we also find, I, I want you to turn there if you don't mind, turn in there with me tonight. In John chapter 15, listen to what Jesus said in verse 20. Jesus said in John 15 verse 20, Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will also keep yours. But drop down to verse 24. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. You see, brothers and sisters, I believe that pride is uh, a reason for for, uh, persecution, but also hatred. It's hatred that is born out of an unregenerate heart, uh, a heart hardened by sin and uh and ignorance the third thing is ignorance and I- ignorance not knowing in john chapter 16 uh in, in verse uh, three he says but these things will they do unto you because they have not known the father nor me in fact if you'll notice the apostle peter used that very thing when he challenged the sanhedrin he said i know that you did it through ignorance you didn't know that the Messiah was your Messiah or you would not have killed the Prince of Glory. He said it was through ignorance, just purity, ignorance, not knowing the truth. So we have pride, we have hatred, we have ignorance. Um, fourthly, mistaken zeal, mistaken zeal. You know, Jesus, again, in John chapter 16, verse 2 Uh, John said that uh, or Jesus said uh, they shall put you out of the synagogues yea the time comes that whosoever kills you will think he does God service mistaken zeal you know that's what Paul lamented over wasn't it in in Romans chapter 10 when he said I bear them record they have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge For they going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness which is by faith in Jesus Christ. It it, it is a, a, a zeal, but it is a misguided or mistaken zeal. And then fifthly, and probably mostly, because men in an unregenerate state love darkness more than light. That's what Jesus taught. Remember what he said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 19? Do you remember that? He said, uh, Because uh, John, uh, I mean, Nicodemus was asking, How is it that uh, this truth of your real nature and your kingdom would be hidden from men? And Jesus said something to him in Ch- John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. He says, And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness. More than light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So these are the main reasons, I believe, that spawn persecution against Christians. Now let's think about the response to persecution for a few moments. I want you to turn with me, if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Remember, Peter and John are the ones that are being persecuted in Acts chapter 4. And listen to what Peter, the aged Peter, says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. Are you with me? He says, uh, well, if you don't mind, let's back up to verse 14. He says, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ... Happy are ye, what a blessing, to suffer for the name of Christ. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you Christians suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or an evildoer, or a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed." but let him glorify God on this behalf. Now, uh, our response to persecution should be one of uh, reflection, one where we are able to rejoice in the Spirit that we're counted worthy to suffer for His name, to suffer for the name of Christ who suffered so much for us on the tree of the cross. Nothing that you and I will ever suffer in this body is comparable to what Christ suffered. I love what one Puritan writer said. He said, God had only one Son without sin and no Son without suffering. If we are truly following Christ, we're called to suffer for His name. I believe that our response should be uh, to seek to glorify God on this behalf. We're asking God to glorify Himself even if it is through suffering. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him consider it a blessing to suffer for His name. Secondly, um, we we need, I, I, I believe, that, that persecution deepens our commitment to Christ. It deepens our walk with Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, he says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. That was Peter's attitude and John's attitude in Acts chapter 4. They were seeking to glorify God. They were committed in their walk with Christ. And uh, our response to persecution should revolve around prayer. Uh, Prayer for the sufferings we endure. Prayer for uh, faithfulness in the midst of suffering. Prayer for our persecutors. I didn't get much response on that. You mean we're supposed to actually pray for them? We're supposed to pray for those that persecute us? Turn your Bible quickly to Romans chapter 12. I've already got mine pegged. That's why I'm able to get there quicker. (laughs) In Romans chapter 12, listen to what Paul said. He said in verse 14, are you with me? Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. that's a mandate and i and i'm going to tell you something uh somebody like me that's got a lot of southern blood in my veins and uh raised by a texan that's hard to do it's 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 hard to pray for those that despitefully use you those that uh would hit you, especially. Uh, those that would speak against you. It's tough. But you know, if you're a Christian, you're called to pray for them. Mm-hmm. To love your enemies. <gasps> Even if they're Democrats. <laughs> you know, to love those that oppose themselves because they're lost. I believe that's exactly what Peter and John are doing here. They're, they're showing that, that wonderful Christian attitude that I long for. Uh, turn your Bible really quick to one verse in first Corinthians chapter four, verse 12. It's, it's, it's just uh, on my heart because he, He's talking about being patient. It's, it, 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 this, this is uh, uh, something that I think, brothers and sisters, is contrary to our nature. It's contrary, at least to my raising. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says this, And labor, working with your own hands, being reviled, and that word means to be abused with words. To be abused with words. Being reviled, we what? We bless. We respond in a totally unnatural way, uh, a totally spiritual way. Being persecuted, we suffer it. We endure it. We, we're patient in it. Verse 13: Being defamed, have you ever been defamed? Has anybody ever told something that wasn't true about you? Uh-huh. Being defamed, we entreat, we are made the, listen, we are made the filth of the world and are the off scouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. You see, the Apostle Paul is warning the church about impending persecution. And that's what I feel I'm I'm doing tonight. It's coming. Are you ready for it? Now that you understand the five basic reasons for it, and you see some of the scriptural responses to it, what about the results that we read in the scripture where these men and women of Christ walked in the Spirit and responded in the way that glorified God and identified them as as peaceable uh, Christians, I believe it's uh, one verse comes quickly to my mind in Philippians chapter one verse twelve. If you want to turn there, in Philippians chapter one verse twelve, the Apostle Paul was talking about those that um, uh, were undermining his ministry. You know, they were saying, "Well, if Paul was really a true apostle, he wouldn't be suffering like he is." If he was doing a good job, why would God put him in a prison over here in Rome? But listen to what Paul said. He said uh, in verse 11, he said, uh, "...being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel." hallelujah the furtherance of the gospel it didn't defeat the gospel persecution does never defeat the gospel no sir um i forgot the name uh brother nathan helped me the the uh the world war ii uh prisoner that was an olympic runner uh, uh, du- uh louis, uh, louis zaparino oh what a great story there you know, somebody that endured four years of persecution from his Japanese captors. And after God saved him by His grace, he went back to Japan to tell those very men that beat him up and, and, and just uh, nearly killed him that he forgave them in the name of Jesus Christ. And they said, Who is Jesus Christ? He said, Well, I'm glad you asked. He witnessed to them. I mean, he, he's a man that had uh, scars all over his body from those Japanese. And he says, those scars, every time I see them, I look in the mirror and I see those scars. I think about how good the Lord has been to me. That I, I'm the persecuted and not the persecutor. Oh, what a, what a great witness. I'm telling you, God honors it. The kingdom of Christ expands under the heavy hand of persecution. I believe that uh, uh, persecution, uh, secondly, that persecution reveals God's faithfulness. It reveals God's faithfulness to His people. It demonstrates His faithfulness to His covenant. I I think about that in the context of Pharaoh. How that even though Pharaoh had civil authority over the children of Israel in Egypt and how he tormented them and if he, uh, in uh, Exodus chapters 1 and 2. And remember, they cried out to the Lord and the Lord saw their affliction and He heard their cries and He sent a deliverer to them named Moses in His faithfulness. He demonstrates His faithfulness in the midst of that heavy hand of persecution I think about this in context with Jezebel. In 1 Kings 18 and 19, when Jezebel had authority, that civil authority, to kill, actually kill the prophets of God. Remember Elijah. He said, I, Lord, I'm uh, I'm alone, and they seek my life also. I'm the last one. He thought he was. But you know what God said to him? God said, Ah, not so, Elijah. I have reserved unto myself 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to the image of Baal. And, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes we get a little discouraged because our churches are small, because we only have a few families relative to the communities that we're living in. But let me tell you something. In our day, God still has 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to the image of Baal. You might not know them, we might not ever see them. But we know in God's faithfulness He has reserved them as a faithful witness in the midst of this generation. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can mark it down. Thirdly, God's children are given an eternal perspective. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how how it is with you. I don't know what sorrows You've had to endure, but it's in those valleys that we learn far more about God and far more about ourselves than we ever do when things go smooth, when we're on the mountaintop. Amen. Do you? Are you following me? Sometimes persecution is necessary to bring about God's people focus. That their focus would be on things eternal. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 8 verse 18. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that what shall be revealed in us. That's that eternal perspective. Remember what Paul said. I, I get a kick out of this every time. In 2, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 he talks about his uh, sufferings as a light affliction. You know, here he's been beat to death. He's been stoned five times, shipwrecked, starving to death, uh, naked. uh, In you know, the first first thing that Paul did when he went into a village to preach the gospel is uh, go see where the jail was because he reckoned that he would be in it pretty quick. And yet he says it's a light affliction. Compared to what, Paul? Compared to the eternal weight of glory that's the eternal perspective that persecution brings to bear i got to i got to get this uh, go with me to hebrews chapter 13 this just comes to my mind hebrews chapter 13 and i know you know this i'm not giving you anything that's new I realize that but I hope it means a lot to you. In Hebrews chapter uh, 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Here it is right here. Hebrews chapter 10, it's right right where uh, I read it last time. Verse 34. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Did you catch that? A better than what? A better than here. And enduring. Enduring. That means eternal. That's something that cannot be taken away from us. You know, they can take away a lot from you and I today. They can take away our money and taxes. They can take away our homes, our, our, our vehicles. They can take away uh, uh, physical things from us. But did you know they cannot take away from you eternal life in Jesus Christ? They can't. And that's why it frustrates them. That's why it, it aggravates them. It makes them mad. It makes them angry. But the Apostle says, I want you to remember that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Verse 35, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. You know, I'm mindful of that story that's told about a a missionary and his wife that never had children. But they served in the Inland China Mission for over 50 years. Now, just get this: over 50 years, they dedicated their life to serving the poor people of China. Well, both of them's health began to fit, fail, and they were they were becoming more of a hindrance than they were a blessing. So they made the decision to go back to England. And in the in the uh, arrangements, they they got on a a a large ship uh on some island i forget where it was uh the last ship that was going to elon england and uh as they stood on the deck of that ship uh and drew close to the dock uh, of of england they saw a band a band playing you know and they saw banners welcome home welcome home they heard a choir singing and, boy, they just looked at each other and, boy, what is this? What is this? And they didn't realize that the prime minister of England was on that boat. <laughs> and as they watched the prime minister leave down the ramp and all of the pomp and show and all of the, all of the crowds left, that old servant and his wife stood there, and she could tell he was troubled by that. He said, Mama, nobody's here for us. And she said to him, Honey, we're not home yet. I wonder how we feel tonight. I wonder sometimes if we put too much stock in the rewards of men. The trophies that we gather here. But brothers and sisters, the best is yet to come. We, we need to understand that. We need to have an eternal perspective. I, I'm talking to me as much as you. We need to remember that the things in this world, the sufferings of this world, the the struggles, the, the trials, the persecutions, the oppositions of this world are temporary. And we need to remember we're not home yet. We're not home yet. I want one last point before I close. And that's something that you, you'll rejoice in because you, you're very familiar with this. God's people are brought to utter dependence upon God. I'm telling you, that's a, that's a wonderful place to be where you're totally shut up to the grace of God and the enablement of God's Holy Spirit This, brothers and sisters, I believe is the result of persecution. The result of this opposition that we face in this world reminds us that God's kingdom is expanding. It reminds us that God's faithfulness is always demonstrated in this time. That God's children are given this eternal perspective. And that God's people are brought to utter dependence upon God. I think about that in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 13. I can do all things. How, Paul? Through Christ Jesus, which strengtheneth me. And that, that, that verb, strengtheneth, means a continual pouring in. A continual pouring in. It's, it's like a, a, a spring, a fountain from which we drink on a daily basis. You see, that's the real walk with Christ. The real walk with Christ is one where I'm reflecting the image of Christ to those that despise Christ as they despise me. And I'm telling you, uh, brothers and sisters, you don't have to go very far. You don't have to talk to too many people to realize that they don't want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. They don't want to hear anything about your quote-unquote religion. But if you're faithful, you'll tell them anyway. Why do you do this? You know, I went to a lumber yard today, uh, excuse me, yesterday, and, uh, and and got a bunch of lumber, and I needed straps because the engineer that designed the repair job says you got to have 18-gate straps. I don't, you know, he's here tonight. You know. uh, anyway you know, and I want to I want to be I want to do a good job for these people. So I get I got the 18 gauge straps, 24 inches long. And uh, and the straps are flat. And and I and I got a bunch of uh 2x10s uh, and I laid the straps on the top of the 2x10s, but then I had to get some 2x4s. And I I put the I put the 2x4s on top of the 2x10s and the straps. And you couldn't see the straps, four dollars and ninety eight cents a piece, by the way, brother Kevin. And uh, and I and, and I'm not even thinking anything. I'm, I'm trying to get out of Lowe's, you know, and I'm ca- I call it Little Mexico these days, but I'm trying to w- work my way through there. And Miss Elizabeth is there, and she says, "Hey, brother Jeff, how you doing?" I say, "Oh, the Lord's good. Oh, yes, He is." And we start. She starts checking my, my, my load, and there's a Mexican man standing behind me, and uh, he was, he was just, you know, I, I always try to say, vaya con Dios to these men, you know, God be with you, vaya con Dios, and, uh, and, and, and I said that to this man, and I was about my business, and she says, okay, brother Jeff, that's uh, so-and-so, and, and boy, just immediately, I mean, just like that. The Spirit said she didn't, she didn't count those straps. Tw- uh, eight of them. Eight of them. So I went and uh, I, I lifted up the, the two befores and I got the straps out from under them. And I says, Miss Elizabeth, did you count these? She says, I sure didn't. She counted those and then I paid my bill. That Mexican man was watching me. And he walked up beside me, and he says, good job. He's a Christian. Good job. See, he had witnessed a lot of people stealing, a lot of people deceiving, a lot of people uh, that could care less uh, about their witness. But he'd come up to me and said, good job. You know what? That, that's what I want to say to each one of you. I want to say, good job. I want to say, yeah, whatever you have to suffer, what, whatever you have to um, go without in order to show people that Jesus is real, that He's real. He's not just a religion. He's not just a, a doctrine. He's real. And He's real in my heart. And the reason I love to come here so much is because I know He's real in your heart too. And I pray that as we go into this season of persecution that I believe is right ahead of us, that we'll stick together. And we'll help each other. Be strong. And we'll understand that the reason and the results... Of, of this persecution are going to produce abundant glory for our Savior. May God bless this to our hearts content. Thank you, brethren.